Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Oh, have great. You gotten, have you gotten some sleep since last week? Yeah, I mean, you forced me to do an hour and 45 minute podcast. Uh, Sorry. Against my will. It was torture. It was I should have torturous. just had you leave and I would have continued the episode <laughs> since that's basically what happened anyway. But No, uh, um, we've gotten a lot of people uh, saying they enjoyed last week's episode they are all liars, but I appreciate the kind words. It was a good episode. Come on now. Ooh. It was three-fourths of a good episode. <laughs> um, but anyway, we've got, a, we've got a good one this week. We're going to stay on topic. Uh, it's earlier. Um, it's not even 8 o'clock yet as of, as of the time of recording, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's do a good episode. What was that? I don't know what that was. I don't that, know, but it's certainly... not a good omen. That was a self-defeating sentence. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so... But let's get to uh, the things we want to get to first. Yeah. It, I, I I tend to be against front-loading the episode with announcements, but we ha- we kind of have to. Here. Yeah. We've got some awesome stuff to announce. First off, um, you know, my apologies to anyone who came out to the live, live show... It, it, it went very poorly, as, yes. I, as I knew it would. David, as we all knew he would, totally choked. Uh-huh. Quite literally, in fact. You just, you know, Goebel had to give you the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah, I should, I, in retrospect, I should not have been eating pretzels <laughs> while doing the show. Um, no, the, as of recording the live show is two days away, uh, so thank you for those who came. Mm. And eventually I'll put that up as a podcast along with the last two that I haven't put up. Yeah, There have been, it's mostly due to been my forgetfulness mm-hmm. but there have been other reasons to do with our website or our oh, hosting that's, yeah, that's we're, right. we're ch- making some changes that will not affect you at all so don't worry about it speaking of hosting it'll affect them because then we'll be able to oh, yeah, we'll, we'll post have more, more stuff more content. Now. Um, but speaking of hosting episodes you guys may have noticed that our first 40 episodes with the exception I think of a couple guest episodes is that right well I mean Oh, you mean our first 40 episodes are gone? Yeah. Yeah, and then we've... All the guest episodes between 1 and 40 are there, so I think that's like 3 or 4. Yeah. Um, you guys may have noticed those aren't available, because they're embarrassing. Um, they're worse than last week's episode. I can't imagine that. <laughs> On average, at least. I was there, and I can't imagine it. Um, I mean, there was a whole thing where we talked about funny things our dads used to say. In like the first episode, I don't remember any of that. It's like the first or second episode where I remember talking about the fact that my dad would always, uh, when he had rented a movie, he would always say, like, say he had rented the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. He'd say, you know, the other, the other night I sat down and watched the Shawshank Redemption. He always made sure to point out that he sat down to watch <laughs> the movie he rented. <laughs> That's right. Yes, <laughs> as if we're. Picturing him standing there yeah. staring at the television. Just pacing like, and smoking. Just uh, sat down and watched The Usual Suspects the other night. He would always say that. <laughs> I was doing anyway. somersaults watching Jaws. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you'll get that conversation in an early episode. Uh, if uh, you donate $10 or more. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess if you donate $10 or more and you don't want the episodes, you can email Tyler and he won't send them to you. We've gotten that once, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but at this point, if you donate... $10 or more uh, for the foreseeable future. We're not really putting a right. time stamp. We'll let you know if we're going to take it down. Yes. So for the foreseeable future, if you donate $10 or more, 
uh, you get the first 40 episodes. Yes. One big file from Alder's It'll Photography. It'll be four, uh, four smaller files. Four smaller files from Alder's Photography. Yes. What is Alder's Photography? I'll tell you what it is. It's my uh, my wife's wedding photography business, and so we are piggybacking on her mail big file account because uh, <laughs> we realize, part of me is like, well, it's not very professional. Why don't we just get our own professional mail big file account? And then I realize, like, we don't have a sponsor, all right? Let's just, let's <laughs> yeah. try to... We, we, we're, re- you know, we're releasing these horribly embarrassing artifacts uh, because we need the money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And many of you have and, been very and, generous, by the way. Yeah, thank you. So. And people should know about Alder's photography. Absolutely. If they're getting married or engaged or if mm-hmm. they're pregnant. And no, 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 that's not that's, oh, that's not a her. different That's a different person. Thing? Okay, if they're getting married or engaged. Yes. But she doesn't do pregnancies. She does not. No, she okay. used to, but uh, but no, it's uh, too much of a hassle. What about retirement parties? No, no. Okay, no. Okay. If the first lady speaks at a fundraising luncheon, she might do that. Okay. What if the first lady were retiring? No. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Would she do a wake? She has done several. <laughs> okay. So. Um, Anyway, people should know about all this photography. But yes, uh, $10 or more, and you get these first... It's more than 40 hours of content. I was going <laughs> to say entertainment, but yeah. it's more than 40 hours of content. Uh, for, it's more than 40 for, hours of slow progress. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, leading up to our 40, 41st episode, the best one we've ever done. No question. Um, so yeah, you can uh, just... All you have to do is donate, and if you... Want the episodes? You don't have to do anything more than donate $10 or more, and yep. it will be sent to you. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, thanks, Tyler, for handling all that. No problem, buddy. Uh, that's it as far as announcements. No, are. there's several more. Okay, really? so we're doing this director's thing. Oh, that one. Okay, so we're... We talked about that last week. I know, but we're going to keep talking about it until until September 25th. Until someone submits a list. <laughs> I know. I thought you guys would be into this. It's very off-putting. Uh, no, there's been a, a great reaction so far, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so we're putting together a uh, listener-generated list of the uh, the 100 greatest director uh, film directors of all time. And so what you'll do is you will submit... Uh, your list of the ten best directors, in your opinion, of course, not uh, you know you don't have to take a poll or anything. Yeah, that's basically what we're doing, actually. So your list of of the ten best directors, email them to me and only me, Tyler at battleshippretension.com. dot com, and uh, this will be going through September twenty fifth, and then probably early October we will reveal the list. So I'm very excited about it, and uh, there's been a lot of. There's been a, a huge, a pretty huge response so far. So, and uh, and there's been some some interesting surprises. So, yeah. stay tuned. Let me tell you what Tyler did that cracked me up. Is this gonna make me look bad? No, it makes you look very funny. Oh, good. You created a blog post for the list, <laughs> and you picked as a picture a picture of Brett Ratner really directing it up yeah. too it was a great picture and a great dry choice to just put it up and not say anything about it i did okay it was it made me laugh out loud when i I'm, I'm glad that was my that was my intention it, it it came out of something practical and then turned into something that i hoped would make people <laughs> laugh because part of me is like well if i put up like well let's just let's not add insult injury if i were to put up a picture of stan brackage sure, or something yeah. like that which is a name we've already said last week so you know it's right. okay to say it might influence yeah it might influence someone would be like oh right yes i wasn't thinking of putting him but i'm absolutely going to now Now that i see uh 
Stan Brackage, a face we all recognize. We all know Stan Brackage, no question about it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you see a picture of Stan Brackage, you know it's Stan Brackage. Exactly. You don't need a caption. Right down to that Hitler mustache and the cross eyes. <laughs> so, um, so, so anyway, um, but yeah, so I was like, well, I got to pick a director that probably won't be on there. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do now. And I thought, I got it. Here's what. And then I, and I, re- I thought, like, well, Uwe Boll is not. Yeah, recognizable immediately, and I thought maybe I'll look. I'll look and see what what photos there are. Of Brett Ratner. Then I found that one, yeah. which the, even the pose is like you know you're Brett Ratner, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so thank you. I appreciate. Uh, I'm glad you 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 got the joke there. All right, so send your ten um, to Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Indeed. And then lastly, I did want to. Uh, I'm I'm recent. I'm a guest on Mike Siegel's Travel Tales podcast, mm-hmm. and that went up a couple a few days ago at this point. And uh, so, what, what did you talk about? The best place to find chicken fingers in other countries? <laughs> yeah, kinda. That is uh, my my dietary preferences. I guess we could say uh, was a, a major part of the discussion. You know, another thing about you that made me laugh the other day that this you won't like this as much, but it's it, all in good fun. Is it? Um, my girlfriend the other night. It was so hot this weekend. It was crazy. Yeah, and we were like, let's just go eat dinner and have some drinks and just spend time somewhere else. And we didn't want to go to a fancy restaurant. Some places we were comfortable sitting for a while. Uh, we live close enough to downtown Burbank. We went to the Elephant Bar, a chain I'm sure you all have. And I was just looking at the menu, and I remembered that you like the chicken fingers at Elephant Bar, and it made me laugh. <laughs> oh, okay. Have you had those chicken fingers? No, because Elephant... Well, then shut up, because they're great. Because Elephant Third Bar best is... Uh, uh, it's like a... It's a... Uh, it builds, builds itself as a wok kitchen. It's mm. Asian types of food are supposed to be a specialty elephant bar's got everything and that's it they're not good at any of it except chicken fingers you're right that's the thing you're right here's here's you know know what's a good at though um for a chain restaurant like that surprisingly strong drinks at good prices or maybe it was just that who was working that night and in my experience with i had a mai tai the, the chicken strips uh nice and fresh that's the key you don't want them mm-hmm. you know they've just been sitting in the freezer and then they just throw them in a fryer you want like you know hand breaded on the day and it's very that's why they're good anyway tyler likes the chicken fingers at elephant bar so if he's ever in your town and you want to take him out i'm sure there's an elephant bar probably yes but take him out of me and kill him. Uh, oh, so yes. you can lure him into submission by giving him chicken fingers from Ellen Bar, and then just two in the back of the head. Um, but you know what? I'll die happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right. anyway, so yes, uh, the Travel Tales podcast, it's very good just in general. Uh, Mike and I were talking, and he mentioned that he's, it's still kind of new, it's new, and so he doesn't have a whole lot of listeners. So, I do recommend everyone head over there. There's a lot of good episodes, and I had a lot of fun when I was over there. So, tra- I think TravelTalesPodcast.com is where you'll find that. Okay. Um, now, I want to get into the topic, mm-hmm. but I have one thing that has actually been in the back of my mind for like two weeks, and we haven't really had a chance. I keep wanting to talk about it, because um, I saw a movie opening weekend two weeks ago. That Always I don't think, a mistake. I don't think you have seen um, yet. It's Ruben Fleischer's 30 Minutes or Less. Right. Have, you, have you seen it? I uh, No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, it's not that good, actually. Um, yeah, you're... It didn't get good reviews, and the stuff that you said you didn't really like about it sort of made steered me away from it. Right. But here's the thing. It's a comedy, for those who don't know, about a guy who is a pizza delivery guy. He gets a sort of fake delivery call out to a middle, the middle of nowhere where he is kidnapped and strapped 
with a bomb and told to go rob a bank or else they'll blow him up. And the reason they want the bank robbed is because they need $100,000 to pay a hitman to kill Danny McBride's father so Danny McBride can inherit the millions or whatever that he has. Yeah. Um, so kind of a dark premise. Yeah. And I didn't know the story until after I saw it when I was reading because I tend to read up on movies after I've seen them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a normal thing. I feel like a lot of people read about them beforehand, but I kind of try not to. Yeah, afterwards, usually, it's like, okay. oh, this is interesting. Um, so, that's a true story. Now, the screenwriters are saying it's not, but it bears a remarkable <laughs> resemblance to the true story. Only, in the true story, it's not very funny. Not that 30 minutes or less is all that funny, either, but you know what I mean. Um, because the pizza delivery guy died as mm-hmm. a result of the... It was a collar, not a vest. But the collar being remotely detonated by the people who put him on it put it on him. Not, not, it's not funny. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm reading that the, the family of this guy who died is very upset about the fact that this movie exists and, and all that. And so I was thinking whether or not the screenwriters were wrong for having written it. And I feel like... You mean I, it all or interpreting it as a comedy? That's That's the second part of the question. Okay. I I don't think that second part no I don't think there's anything worse about making a comedy about it without their permission than making mm-hmm. any other kind of movie about it without their permission okay um I know it seems more crass but to me it's a it's a product it's there to make money it's crass to begin with no matter what the uh uh well, it might, format is it might not have been made if if it if it were a different genre, let's say they had made a almost a cinema verite kind of thing uh, with almost no-name actors, then that might not actually have been made in order to make money, which makes it a bit less crass. Maybe they found something inherently tragic in the story, as one but, would. Uh, the story of the Titanic is tragic, mm-hmm. and it could easily be said that James Cameron making a movie about, about it is is crass. It's not a comedy. It's got some funny parts. Right. For sure. Um, a propeller. Am I right? <laughs> propeller guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's, it's crass. And so, I, but this is not the main thing that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Be- but I, I'm glad you disagree with me. But I still think that the genre doesn't make a difference. Okay. Um, what I do think is that if I were a screenwriter, I wouldn't have written a movie about it. You know, especially just saying that I hadn't heard of the original story and all this stuff. I wouldn't have done it. Right. But do I think they're morally wrong for having done it? Not necessarily. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I, as a comedy fan that I live by. When a comedian is up on stage, no topic whatsoever is off limits as long as he or she can say something funny about it. Mm-hmm. But if they approach a topic and they fail to say something funny about it, then it was off limits, but you don't know that until after, and it's, ri- it's a risk you have to take. Mm-hmm. Tracy Morgan recently said some awful things about how if, he is, if his son were gay, he'd stab him in the face, I think he said. Something like that, yes. That's not funny, so that's an awful thing. Right. If he, This might make me sound awful, though. If he had come up with an interesting 
personal and humorous take on the idea of stabbing his gay son, mm-hmm. then it would have been okay because he's supposed to be funny. He would have been doing his job. Well, first off, like any, you, you any know, situation... And, and anyone who re- sorry, anyone who says that I'm wrong needs to really think about the comedy that they like and go back at the stuff they think is funny and the you know the same the same jokes about you know uh um you know chris rock cheating on his girlfriend or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think more examples uh you know louis ck has a yeah talking about his asshole kids I yeah mean, or even like the more recent bit he has been doing about about child molester murderers that is uh pro or con <laughs> his premise is that we need to we should treat child molestation as if it's not as big a deal because that way the people who kidnap and molest kids won't kill them afterwards so he's saying he'd be less worried about his kids being killed if he didn't know that anybody who kidnapped and raped them would then kill them because he felt such shame about having done it that's is this really a, rough is this a bit yeah he's it's doing? hilarious too that's, and that's what I'm saying. That is kind of a... That's a humorous take on it. And that's the... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I, I don't want to get on the, off on this top tangent about Tracy Morgan, but I do believe that if he could have come up with something funny and intelligent and original to say about the idea of him stabbing his gay son for being gay, mm-hmm. um, then it would have been okay with me. But then again, that's subjective, because I think Larry the Cable Guy says some things that are really... Uh, irresponsible and racist mm-hmm. and some people find them funny specifically because they're racist or irresponsible um, and that's not okay with me so I guess it's up to yeah I mean comedy is very subjective and, and one even could say that Dan Whitney is doing a character and his character might be racist to my knowledge Dan Whitney does not have that that thick of an accent yeah he's a completely different accent he's from Nebraska yeah and um, so like so uh, that's one don't get me wrong it's not i'm not defending larry the cable guy i don't find him funny at all but uh but yeah it is it is fairly subjective and what i will say is is because i'm regardless of of like my personal beliefs and the fact that by and large the christian community doesn't have a sense of humor about things um i will say that i'm pretty much on board with what you're saying because almost anything if approached from the right direction yeah can be funny yeah. Louis C.K., if you say, like, hey, uh, molestation shouldn't be that big of a deal. Horrible. Here's why. Here is the one benefit no one has thought of, and it's so outlandish <laughs> that it's funny. You, the, yeah. the laughter, it's genuine, but it's almost a laughter of disbelief. And so he found a way to make you laugh in some way, shape, or form about it. Tracy Morgan, what he said was horrible, but it could have been a nice tag about saying, like, you know... Like, if, if he was decrying homophobes in general, and it's like, you know, why can't you just let, you know, uh, homosexuals get married? That's really terrible. You know, these people are so hateful. And then what he does is then he turns it on himself and says something really terrible about his own son. The implication being like, it's like, I'm fine with everything as long as it doesn't affect me. You know, that, that there's one way you could there's have gone, one yeah. way you could have but, gone and, with and, it. And that could have comedians been comedians are, you know, good comedians are smarter than I am when it comes to comedy, they could all have come up with mm-hmm. some way 
to make it funny. Yeah. Tracy I'm not Morgan didn't make it the, funny. I'm not saying these are the great, the best way to do the bits, right. but like, but you're just giving an example. Like, right. there are ways to approach this yeah. topic, and he didn't, even, he didn't even really have to change his quote unquote punchline. Uh huh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's uh, but, but with, what I'm saying is to get back, to bring it back to movies. Right. If I had loved 30 minutes or less. I wouldn't be that concerned. I wouldn't be having this conversation right now because mm-hmm. it wouldn't concern me that much. Because it would have been worth it to make the art or whatever. Um, but uh, I think the only reason I'm having this conversation is because they exploited this uh, very upsetting and dark real event that had mm-hmm. um, horrible repercussions for the family and friends of this guy who died. And then had the gall to make a mediocre movie about it. Well, I mean, there is a, you know, I mean, people could say the the same about Pearl Harbor, and I would agree with them, which yeah, is exactly. like exploiting this thing. It's like, well, if you're going to do it, do it right. But the question then is, how do they do it right? Because one could say that exploiting... If Pearl Harbor had been funny, it would have been okay. Well, it was, no, you know, but not the comedy. way you're talking about. But uh, and so like, but I I don't treat comedy differently than drama. It's mm-hmm. a uh, this is a conversation that's been going on with another friend of mine recently. Um, Man, I hope we don't turn this episode into this because this will be the second time we bump this topic because of something we were talking about at the top of the show. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, well, let's wrap it up then. Okay. Uh, I don't think that making a comedy is any more crass than making a drama about it. You're still fictionalizing it and using it for your own ends, and comedy is just as high an art form, art form as drama is. Here's what I'll say. Uh, comedy or drama, here's, here's, the, here's the, the situation. The fact that they, were, that they took something that was quite horrible, and as you mentioned, has it's horrible primarily because of the repercussions. I mean, it's mm-hmm. terrible no matter what. It's terrible the guy died. Yes. He's... I mean, everything is everything He's is in quite, a better place now. Oh, a good, is that the tag you're taking? <laughs> I have and no so, idea. Um, but what I was going to say is, like, if he got out of it, then yes, it's a really it can be a very traumatizing event, but it does make for a really fascinating story. But the fact that he didn't get out of it is is what makes this incredibly tragic and really really awful. And if you're going to exploit that for artistic purposes, then freaking... And you're going to just do it the whole way. The fact that they changed the ending so that it was... I haven't seen 30 minutes or less. I assume the guy doesn't explode, right? Jesse Eisenberg survives the movie. Okay. Spoilers, everyone, for 30 minutes or less. <laughs> and so... So the fact that they changed the ending so that they could make the movie they wanted to make. And I'm not saying they need to be... But also, I think... And you haven't seen the movie. Right. The other way they could have gone is and maybe this is what you're talking about Mm -hmm. but they could have even had jesse eisenberg survive and still made an actual dark comedy what they did is they took the premise of a dark comedy and made a pretty sanitized i mean it's got some raunchy quote-unquote jokes in it it's rated r for the language or whatever but they made a pretty mainstream comedy and and that's the thing is i'm on board with you it took me a moment to get there but i'm on board with you in saying that comedy or drama it doesn't matter because this is actually similar to an argument that I that I was that I've been making for years about the Ron Howard film *A Beautiful Mind*, mm-hmm. in which okay, you find his story inspiring, that's fine, and in this case, of course, it's his story specifically. But one of the things that they made *A Beautiful Mind* into was like this love story, and hey, my, our love is gonna is gonna hack it uh-huh. through through good times and bad, and then of course in reality. 
uh, Na- uh, was it John Nash? Yeah. Bl- John Nash's wife divorced him mm-hmm. right after being diagnosed. And still kind of stayed in his life. And I think they were even continuing, they, they still were romantically involved, but they were not married. And that was a choice she made for whatever reason. But I have to assume it had something to do with the fact that he was recently diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, they got remarried right around the same time that he got a Nobel Prize. And so, yes, I could look at that and be very cynical. I am. Uh, but the thing is, if, so if you look at that and decide you want to comb this, you know, this amazing romance out of it, just tell a different story. Mm-hmm. Like you are yeah. sanit, you're sanit, it doesn't matter. It's a drama, you know, uh, this Oscar caliber drama, but either way, sanitizing something so that it's more acceptable is way more, uh, is way more insulting mm-hmm. than just telling the story right you know whether it be even if you did turn it into a dark comedy and yeah the dark comedy would have been insulting too but it would have, there would have been a sort of um a philosophy behind it mm-hmm. as opposed to commercialism or whatever right and just and it's like okay I'm well okay with things being you know uh i like dark comedies i'm okay with people i'm okay with things being offensive for the sake of being offensive mm-hmm. but that's a whole different actually that's a great idea for an episode Offensive for the sake of being offensive? Offensive versus shocking. All right. I'll see you next week, buddy. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We should talk guys. about that next week, for real, because that's a big deal All right. to me, the, the difference between offen- uh, offensive and shocking. There's um, a number of guests we could get for that that would be very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, okay. 30 minutes or less. Aziz Ansari is in it. He plays a supporting role. Oh. So, <laughs> what? That was pretty terrible. That's great. All right. Fair enough. Um. So let's get into it, shall we? We're talking about supporting roles and supporting performances. Yes. Uh, I mean, supporting characters was basically what I was thinking. Not even right. great supporting performances, but what a supporting character is. Right. But, I, but the reason I say, I say role and performance is because I want to talk about it both from the screenplay point of view and from the acting point of view. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, okay. I am approaching but, it more from a screenplay point of view, so I'm I'm excited that you want to go from this other way as well. I'm probably going to approach it more from a screenplay point okay. of view too, but I am interested in the acting because the idea is when the screenwriter writes a movie, it's just him, and all the characters are extensions of him mm. or her. But come on now, <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. I just for the sake of brevity, I said him. Okay. Sue me, um, and then I spent 20 minutes uh, apologizing. For Soul it. of wit, I understand. <laughs> Um, so it's just him or her and then all the characters are extensions of him or her Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to playing the roles individual entire whole people have to play them yes Um, and you know maybe uh, Patricia Clarkson or whatever uh, has her own ideas about this character Mm -hmm. just because the screenwriter has said this character is supporting. Yeah. That might not be how Patricia Clarkson, for example, approaches mm-hmm. the, uh, the character. Well, and I guess we can, we can jump in there because of course, uh, immediately I do have, a uh, an opinion on this, which is no actor should view their role as the supporting role. Of course, yeah. we're all the lead in our own stories. And so you have to do that as, and, and I think that's probably for the best. Um, right. And but then, there are, have got to be exceptions. Um, say you're... 
uh, Tom Hardy and you're an Inception. Okay, I will say that, yes. At any... Dream bigger. Okay, got it. <laughs> at any given point, you may or may not even be a character. You might be someone's dream version of that char- of the character in the right. real life. Um, so sometimes you do have to play it. It, I think it depends on... I mean, that's obviously an extreme example. Yeah, there's not a lot of movies that are based on somebody's dreams. <laughs> and it's an extreme example, but, so, I mean, often a movie is... Uh, I'm, trying to think of, I'm trying to think of more examples, because I hadn't thought about talking about this aspect of it. But sometimes you're only supposed to see a character from the lead's point of view, or understand them that way. Like, if the film is, is incredibly subjective... Right. A, a, an example uh, that I always use is, of course, the film Falling Down, which has a lot of caricatures in it, but that is primarily because we are meant to see Los Angeles as defense does, which mm-hmm. is, everyone is against him. So, it's not merely that you are a Korean store owner, you have to be the essence of a Korean store owner. As this guy understands him. As this guy understands him, which is, yeah. you know, doesn't speak English very well, has no appreciation for America, rips people off, right. that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm saying that's how this character yeah. perceives. Uh, Do you think I, I have only recently come to think of anything this way, but um, I feel like there are probably a lot of people out there who enjoy falling down for completely the wrong reasons. Oh, I have no doubt of that, yes. Does that bother you? That's another topic, by the it way. Does bo- it does bother me a little bit, came yes. Up, um, I had dinner with my girlfriend after we saw 30 Minutes or Less, actually. And um, throughout the movie, Danny McBride and Nick Swardson's characters are saying kind of racist things about Izzy Zansari, mm-hmm. about his character. Um, and it didn't bother me because, to me, that's the characters being morons. Yes. The characters are, vil- are not only villains, but also kind really, of dim-witted. Really dumb, yeah. yeah. Um, uh Although Danny McBride has a line that I, I wonder if he improvised where he says, you know why I sleep so late? It's not because I'm lazy. It's because I got such big dreams. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway. That do- that's got to be him, right? Yeah, that, that's Everything great, about it is him. Such a great line. Um, but uh, my girlfriend was like, yeah, but there were 16 and 17-year-old kids in the theater laughing at all those lines. How do we know they're not laughing because they think the racism is funny and to me uh, it's not my business yeah i mean that's yeah i mean it's you can't you can't uh change change art depending on what someone somewhere might how they might interpret it right Um, i agree i agree but But uh, that's a uh, that's a good topic for a show someday there's a lot of good topics coming out of here except the one that we're talking about but i'll have forgotten them all by the end of the night maybe i should be writing them down um Sorry, who, I have a you, paper and pen here, and I didn't write saying? it down. Um, no, something like that. No, you're absolutely right. There are some movies that are very subjective, and so your character or or the films, you know, the films take place in some kind of weird reality that is not meant. It's not meant to represent our reality, and I said those those movies are often directed by visionaries. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a while. So. Um, <laughs> But no, something like that. Of course, you also need to you need to take genre into account and that sort of thing. But by and large, most films take place in our reality, maybe a heightened version of it, but it's still our reality. And a supporting actor needs to, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say needs to. I don't want to dictate how they should do it. But chances are they approach their character the same way a lead actor approaches their character, which is 
what, why is my character doing this? What is his, his or her motivation for doing this? And they need to get there. And they get there in the same way. So they're really, as far as from a performance standpoint, by and large, there's not a lot of different... I don't think there's a lot of difference in the approach. And I think that's usually what makes for really great supporting characters is when they refuse to merely be... It's it's one thing to be in the background. It's another thing to be content to be in the background. And I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the character. You know, yeah. some characters... They just won't be that. You look at something like uh, Charlie Wilson's War. You look at uh, Gustav Ricardos. Mm-hmm. You know he's a guy who refuses to be ignored, and he's definitely a supporting character in that film. Mm-hmm. But you know, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, someone could say, "Well, he chews the scenery." No, he plays the character the way the character demands to be played. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think the worst thing you could probably do is a supporting role, even if you only have one or two lines. The worst thing you could do is play the character as. A person in a screenplay. Yo, absolutely. But I do feel like in bad movies and bad TV shows, that's exactly what happens a lot of the time. More than likely, yes. Um, where their motivations are not are not spelled out, and and the actor just says, "Okay, well, I guess this is what I." It's it's all about what I'm doing right now. I don't really care why, or just well, the the lead actor wants to do this. Mm-hmm. I either do or don't want him to do it, and that's right. enough for me. Or me as the guy on the street, I have to... In order for the lead character to say his next line, I have to react to this <laughs> yeah, way. I guess if you want to really <laughs> break it down... Uh, <laughs> but I yes. do feel like sometimes that's how... That's like... Possibly, Bad yeah. movies, that's how they work. Yeah. I remember I was, uh, I was acting in a scene in one of my directing classes in college, and I was acting in a scene from American Buffalo, and there's a moment when my character has to leave or is acting like he's going to leave. And so I instinctively started putting on my jacket because I'm going outside and it takes place in Chicago and it's probably a little chilly outside. And I'm, this is my jacket. I brought it in with me. I'm not going to leave it here. So I just do that, but I didn't even think about it. It just, it's just what you do. It's instinct. Uh And I remember in doing so as I'm leaving, uh, the, the instructor who is a really good guy and always very encouraging. He's like, you know, I love that you made that choice. I said, uh, okay, why is that? He's like, because your character is showing that he's serious and that he's going to, he needs to get this guy out of his chair and let him know I'm serious. Look, I'm putting on my jacket. I'm going outside. And and I remember just being like, okay. I mean, yeah, I guess from a purely practical standpoint, it makes sense to do that, but it also makes sense to put your jacket on when you go outside (laughs) if you have a jacket with you. And so it's... You know, if you want to break things down that way, I guess you can. But chances are, there's just as much a practical reason for the character to do it as for the actor to do it. Okay. Well, let's come. Uh, let's. Uh, I guess we can table the uh, actor's approach for now because I think we kind of agree. Okay. Um, and let's go back to Gust Avocados from Charlie Wilson's War. Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays him as a as his own character, but he's a Spitfire, David. Uh huh. But the um, the story is Charlie Wilson's story, mm-hmm. and based on a true story or not, within the screenplay, Gust exists as a part of the lesson that Charlie learns, mm-hmm. or how Charlie grows as a person. Right. So, um, and I feel like this is really the, what you really wanted to get at. Like, how does the how does the screenwriter approach? a role like that 
Well, this can't... Because he's got a... Sorry, he, but he's got a... Again, I'm saying he is if all screen editors, screen editors are he's. They're not. The good ones are. No, not necessarily. <laughs> I'm joking. Campions. I'm obviously joking. I can't think of any more besides Jane Campion. Um, <laughs> um, Diablo... Oh. Ooh. Um, but a screen editor has a point to make. Mm-hmm. Or at least I think they should. I mean, I think if art is truth or whatever, then you should be saying something true when mm-hmm. you're writing a movie. Um, and in that sense, every character, lead or performing, is a tool no. to getting that message across. Yeah. Um, but the supporting characters perhaps more so by nature of yeah. the way that things work. Um, I remember what we were fo- we were first going to do this episode months ago, like right after the Oscars, mm-hmm. precisely because of the film True Grit. Because one thing that bothers me a lot, and I know it bo- maybe doesn't bother you as much, but you and I have had many discussions about it, specifically when it comes to the Academy, is how they classify lead and supporting. And well, it's not the Academy classifying. It's the studios submitting. Right. And then the, the Academy, I guess, feels they have no choice but to do this. Um, which it, Everything is very frustrating because none of it has anything to do with the film itself or art. Um, yeah, the Oscars are kind of stupid. They're a little dumb. Don't get me wrong. Still, we always talk about yeah, them. Yeah, it's still one of my, f- like, probably ten favorite days of the year. Yeah. Oscar Sunday. So. We should talk about why, not now, but we should talk about around Oscar season why we, why we still respond to the Oscars, even though we trash it, like so many online film fans do. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, of course, the film uh, True Grit... It's in it's in my notes. Okay, all right. As a topic, the film True Grit, uh, Haley Stein. I'm sorry, Steinfeld. Yeah, was it Steinfeld? Yes. Okay, like Seinfeld, but with a T. I, you know what? It's so similar to Seinfeld that I was like, I've got to be getting this wrong, right? <laughs> um, but uh, her character, whose name unfortunately I don't recall. Um, I never remember. I I forget characters' names by the time the credits are done rolling. I I'm, usually have I've a pretty good memory, it. and I it bought and. I have a pretty good memory on my uh, in my notes here, but for some reason that one eluded me. Um, but of course, not only is it a great performance, it's also an incredibly great character, and there is no question that is the lead character in yeah. True Grit. Would the, you the, say that's right? The, <clears throat> we should define, and I think we probably have on the show before. To me, the lead character is the one with the dynamic arc. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the one who is different at the beginning of the movie than he or she was at the beginning of the movie. Right. Because the events of the movie have served to teach uh, her, or, her or him a lesson about life or help them the person grow or right. whatever. Um, so that's why Haley Steinfeld is playing the lead character in True Grit because the movie is about her coming of age and her understanding of the world outside of the narrow understanding she had because of her upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, and and what her travels in the rougher parts of the West have taught her about the world and about human nature. Mm-hmm. And Rooster Cogburn is a is a good character, but within the screenplay, just like Gust Avocados, he exists as a function of T 
teaching her that lesson. I'm glad you said that because, uh, don't get me wrong, there can be multiple leads in a film. But, yeah, Rooster Cogburn, he doesn't really change. I think he is in the film who he always was. It's just as the film goes on, more is revealed to us and to Haley Steinfeld's character right, it's about revealed him. to us because it's being revealed to Absolutely. her. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... To us, it almost seems like, oh, it's like he's changing. It isn't. He's always been like this, but he just doesn't show it to everybody. But our lead is so interesting and so dynamic that he's willing to put himself out there and make himself a little bit more vulnerable. Um, But he always had it within him to do that. So, yes, he is actually the supporting role. You know, and of course, the other... There, there are multiple examples of this, but the other very glaring one that, uh, that we've talked about in the past is uh, the film Training Day mm-hmm. in which uh, Denzel Washington won Best Lead Actor for his mm-hmm. role as Alonzo Harris and then uh, Ethan Hawke was nominated for supporting for Jake Hoyt. See, I remember all these names. Um, <laughs> I guess tr- I guess True Gert wasn't that memorable. Yeah. That's probably not true. So, uh, and I remember a lot of people, th- I, I, we weren't well, the first ones to the have character a- Harris Eulen played in that movie? <laughs> Was he a judge or something? I don't know. Oh, I'm thinking of Ghostbusters 2. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> was he a judge in Ghostbusters 2? Yes, he was. I haven't seen that I, w- so I don't remember that judge's name. I'm sorry. But um, but anyway, so... Uh, so And a lot of people had a problem with Training Day at the time. A lot of people were quick to point out that... That Ethan Hawke's character even has more screen time. Not that that is an indicator. That is no, not yeah. an indicator. But... Alonzo Harris does not change at all in no. the film. It, Quite he, what, terrifyingly, say he is he, an immovable force. <laughs> yeah. You could say he gets worse, but immovable I don't think so. Unstoppable force. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Um, no, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not Rooster Cogburn getting better. It's Haley Steinfeld's character. We're never going to learn her name. Yeah. Learning more about him. And it's the same with, uh, with Hoyt yeah. learning more about, about Alonzo. Meanwhile, of course, uh, of course uh, Hoyt learns i mean learns what being a cop really is and learns a lot about himself and his own limits yeah. over the course of the film he is definitely the lead of that film and if you didn't need enough proof yes he's on screen far longer than uh yeah. I, I think it's only like 13 minutes but that's notable that's a lot in a yeah. movie 13 and minutes sit there 13 minutes of a movie yeah that's a lot it's but that's the thing Movies is of course long, man. <laughs> so this podcast let's end it I think we've made our points. I've learned from like watching more and more TV over the past decade or so mm. is that movies are long. Like I, I prize a short movie, or or I also prize when a long movie doesn't feel long. Oh, like, absolutely. That's more important to me than it maybe was when I was in high school and becoming mm. a budding film fan because maybe at that time I thought that length equaled prestige or something. Yeah, you know, like uh, oh, the English Patient. Right, it's long. It must be great. Now I love a short film or a long film that doesn't feel. Long. I, I think do, it's because I I watch so many forty four minute a week yeah. shows. I do treasure a good uh, a, a film that is short, not artificially, because there have been plenty of movies that I feel like mm, they could use another twenty minutes. But uh, movies that know, you know exactly the story they're telling. Twenty minutes. What's that? Charlie Wilson's War. I, yes, I agree with that. That that ending just comes. It's just like. It just yeah. rolls downhill and then it's over. Yeah, like, it's like all right, they've succeeded in something. With credits, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 
Which, like, the third act of the movie is, like, nine minutes long, and then it's over. <laughs> yeah, and nine minutes long, most of which is montage, by the way. It's yeah. like, you know, you can, you don't need this montage. You're not at two hours and 15 minutes. That's like a 90-minute film. Yeah, it's not, it's not very long. And while I appreciate that Mike Nichols figured, well, we're making a comedy, let's have it move, I appreciate that, but uh, considering, like, how how much the film luxuriated in the dialogue and nice uh-huh. long dialogue scenes and then to just be yeah it's also the thing that the movie is building up to or yeah. the, the thing the characters lives are in actions are building up to yeah happens like that and then it's over yeah it's very frustrating but uh but yeah and so so that that was sort of what what kicked it off is this idea of lead versus supporting and then I started thinking well what is supporting because it's amazing how many people including me for a very long time didn't know what that meant I remember um, I guess I was 15 I was 15 when LA Confidential came out and I remember uh, Kim Basinger was being nominated and winning various supporting actress categories um, well just awards it's just the one category <laughs> and so well there's Actress in a supporting role. There's supporting actress. Fair enough. Got, they got all kinds of different outstanding. Yeah, there's a lot of things. So, <laughs> why are you so upset about that word? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, but I remember thinking at the time because you know you know I, why I laughed. Okay. Jackie Cation, friend of the show, mm-hmm. likes to tell a story that whenever, anytime she's back home in Wisconsin, she's driving around with her dad, and they drive <laughs> past a pasture that has cows in it. Yeah. He always makes the same joke, which yeah. is. Do you know what those cows are? They're outstanding in their field. <laughs> and that's so funny to me. I would laugh every time if I were Jackie Cage. It is the essence of a dad joke. Yeah. That's what's great about it. Um, but no, so so LA Confidential, I was a young film fan. And to me, I was like, how can she be the supporting actress? She's the on- pretty much the only female in the film. But I didn't oh, understand I what it meant, what character arc meant. Yeah, it's not like every film has a lead male and a lead female. Right. In fact, I think if you actually were to apply the real, what we consider the real rules, very few films actually have co-leads. Right. You know? Although, oddly enough, LA Confidential has three male leads. Yeah, th- you're right. Yeah. But, uh... But, but often when a movie, you know, um... Uh... I'm trying to think of a movie about a marriage that's not the one that I just saw that isn't out yet. I'm not going to say where I saw it. Um, (laughs) Or in what capacity. Yeah, how I got invited to see the movie. (laughs) Um, uh, I was just trying to think of of an example about a movie about a marriage. Well, I mean, I I just brought up um, A Beautiful Mind, which was nominated for lead for Russell Crowe and But Jennifer Connelly is not the... Yeah, she's not the female lead... In the movie. Right. But she's the most prominent female role. Yeah. But the movie's not about her. No, it's very much... And that's yeah, not it's a sin. There's, you no. know, plenty of movies. Uh, you know, I just... Uh, the movie Higher Ground that Vera Farmiga uh, mm-hmm. directed that was out recently, um, Joshua Leonard uh, plays her husband, but he's not the male lead. Mm-hmm. There's no male lead. The movie's right. about her. So are you thinking of a movie about marriage in which they're both lead yeah and i can i, I, revolutionary I can't road think of those revolutionary road in the bedroom mr uh, and mrs smith mr smith who's afraid of virginia wolf mm-hmm. to finally name something that's more than 15 years old i feel like we've been focusing on recent movies in this episode and you know it's and unfortunately a lot of the examples that i have um on my sheet here are 
more recent examples. I wish they weren't, but uh, but yeah. And so I started thinking, okay, well, what what makes for a supporting character, and there is some like the lines are blurred sometimes. Um, but, well, yeah, I uh, mean, I think if a screenwriter, if she is sitting there actually thinking about the rules, like okay, I have to have a supporting, and then, right, like that would make not make for a good screenplay. Although we, you, we have to force them into these categories afterward. Yeah, that's I just true. did a whole like uh, mime for the listener there of forcing things into categories. That's what it would look like. It was beautiful. I am weeping. Uh, but, David, did you ever see Syriana? Yeah. Okay, George Clooney. Supporting? See, I was going to talk about shortcuts. Yeah, I, on the back here I have uh, ensemble films because there are movie, there are ensemble films where every character is basically the lead or every character is basically supporting. Okay, well, what would you consider shortcuts? I would say supporting. Everyone's supporting? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Everyone's supporting because... And it's not... Here's what I'm not going to say. Okay. A lot of dumb, not dumb, but maybe trite or hackneyed critics would say. Oh, good. Well, I'm not going to say that Los Angeles is a char- is like a character in the movie. Don't you hate that? Because I really hate that. We'll talk about that some other time because we've already had Here's one tangents. time that I heard it used because I was on this podcast and it was used correctly. Well, the first time I was on the Criterion cast, we were, on, we were talking about a walkabout. Mm-hmm. And James said that the Outback is like a character in the movie. He was right. Pretty much any other movie, you're not right about that. <laughs> there are very few movies where the place is a character. Right. Um, anyway, I mean, I mean, maybe The Wizard of Oz because the trees can talk and they're actually trying to stop her. Well, those are characters. The forest is char- okay, the, <laughs> the trees. trees are characters. Yeah. Um, anyway, Los Angeles is not a character in the movie. Uh, and, maybe the, and there isn't really a lead character, but there is a thing that the performing the, the supporting roles are in support of mm-hmm. which is a general idea yes very much so so uh just like just like there doesn't always need to be a male and female lead uh, and often there isn't both there doesn't always have to be a lead character no. the, it, the thing that they're supporting doesn't necessarily have to be the star of the movie no it can be the idea or the you know milieu and Two weeks in a row with Millie U. That's very exciting. Uh, yeah, actually, I've got a couple of other uh, ensemble films, both of them uh, Altman. One is Nashville and one is Gosford Park, mm-hmm. where there really are no leads. We do occasionally see things through Kelly McDonald's eyes in, in Gosford, Gosford Park. Park, but she doesn't change. Yeah, She's not in just Nashville. A, that would be weird. Yeah, oh my, that'd be... <laughs> who's this baby, and why do we keep <laughs> focusing on her? Um and she seems to be from Scotland. I don't know how I know that because it's a baby. But, uh, but yeah, in Gosford Park, we do see things from her point of view, but that's far from being a lead. That's like saying that, uh, you know, the, the reporter in Citizen Kane is the lead. Right. Which he is not. And so, but then there are, there are ensemble films in which every character, not every character, but the bulk of the characters okay. are leads. What is that? I'd say Magnolia. Okay. A lot, like for example, Tom Cruise. I hate to put this solely in terms of Oscars, but because Oscars do categorize things, Mm -hmm. that is often how I think. Um, So, like Tom Cruise in Magnolia was nominated for supporting actor, but his character changes quite a bit and opens up quite a bit. Um, I do think that he's different at the at the end than he was at the beginning, and you run across that with. Yeah, I feel like I'm not really almost not conversant in magnolia because i saw it once and i okay. didn't like it um, well i did also write i'm down, trying to think of like you don't think that's a thing where they're in service of an idea about like um 
I don't know. What is Magnolia even about? Interconnectedness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay. Forgiveness, regret, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, and so they they are, but at the same time, they themselves... Why, why does Magnolia then have that whole thing about like coincidence and urban legend and stuff at the beginning? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to get a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, on here to talk about that. That's not going to happen. I couldn't sit here through a conversation about Magnolia. I really don't like it. We'll just have him... Uh, when's the last time you saw it? I stand by it. I uh, really enjoy 11 it. 11 years ago, I think. I'd say you're due. Give it another shot. <laughs> Although you did just say you don't enjoy long films. That one's about an eh, hour 45. So, um, but like... How, 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 it's an hour and 45 minutes yeah. too long? No, just that's how long it is. And that's a little long for you. I understand. That's like how, an hour and 43 long is, minutes long. How long is Magnolia? It's like 3.15. <laughs> so, um... I like Titanic. I like... I like, um... Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah. I liked Inland Empire. Um, I didn't see it. I like long movies. Yeah. No, I know. It's, it's fun. I'm, make, I'm making jokes. Uh, tra- you know it's a little too long? Giant. Yeah. Yeah, just because you're telling several... Like, a story over several years doesn't mean it needs to, like, be in real time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I mentioned Siriana already, but a better example of that kind of movie is Traffic. Traffic, you've got several... You've got several leads. Not all of them. But, of course, it is notable that I do think that Benicio Del Toro's character is a lead. I, I think, think he, right. he and Michael yeah. Douglas, I think, are the leads of that film. You don't think Catherine Zeta-Jones is a lead? Oh, no, she is, too. I'm okay. sorry. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, no one ever th- spoken in lead terms with that movie. Um, and, like, and again, go, to go back to awards, I'm sorry, everybody, that I'm doing that. You know, Benicio Del Toro won Best Supporting Actor. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones was not nominated, but a lot of people thought she was going to be for supporting. But uh, yeah, those three those three characters they they do change some for the better, yeah, some I for the worse. I think that's actually a good example because that's not. I mean, there is. Uh, I, I guess what we're talking about, which might be a little off topic, here is the difference between I think in most movies the characters serve the theme. Mm-hmm. Um. But sometimes with maybe um, shortcuts, it's the theme that informs the characters. I'd say that. Yeah, it, that's about right. You know right. what I mean? But traffic does, I think, think fall on that other side mm-hmm. where it's... And maybe it's, frankly, just the fact that traffic, for as sprawling as it is, has a lot more narrative drive than shortcuts or yeah. Nashville or probably Magnolia. I haven't seen it. Certainly more of a narrative drive than Boogie Nights. Um, yeah. movie I don't another movie I don't like very much. Although Boogie Nights still has a definite lead, right? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, and so but definitely more so than than Magnolia. Yeah, there's for several characters in Traffic, there is a beginning, middle, and end, right. and they are all interconnected. But that's far from being just a general ensemble film. I think it actually is much more conventional than people think. Although I've not seen the Criterion, which has uh, apparently like eight hours of. Uh, additional footage uh and i think maybe that might make it a little bit more sprawling but uh but yeah and so so i did want to i did want to talk about that that there are some films where a lead is sort of not required and people i don't know do you think people by and large I, i've been saying by and large a lot i'm sorry everybody um sorry. you ever find that you get locked into a yeah. certain phrase oh, yeah. and it's like i can't stop saying this uh-huh. um i say geez louise pepper cheese all the time now I don't know if you're joking. I hope you're joking. I'm half joking. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, um, 
Do you think that uh, that audiences are m- more or less accepting of a film of of a genuinely ensemble film uh, because there is no definite lead? Um, I don't know that they're either more or less okay. accepting of that. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to think. I well, mean, what it, ensemble films have been big money makers? You know what? Uh, now, it, ignore my premise. Valentine's Day, Love Actually. There you go. Okay, yeah, never mind. All right, I forgot about other And the movies. one that's coming up that's going to blow both those movies out of the water, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, that's right. Man, this is this has really depressed me. But, uh... And Do I you s- think... Okay, Valentine's Day I didn't see. I Did you see Did. So it's like, but it's like, it's a, no, did I, let's say, oh, okay. you know what? I didn't see that. I saw, he's just not that into you. Okay. If Valentine's day is a bad diminished return copy of love actually, mm-hmm. do you think new year's Eve will be a bad copy of Valentine's day or just another equally bad copy of love actually? Do you think Valentine's Com- Day a copy is of Valentine's Day? So it, it, there's more to go be- below Valentine's Day. They haven't hit haven't hit bottom yet. Is Here's that what, what I think. Your I, I don't pr- know prediction? if it's, no, I don't know if it's worse. All right, because after a while, a copy of a copy of a copy. Like if you just keep doing that, eventually they're all equally grainy. Uh-huh. But uh, I think what it is, I think it is a copy of Valentine's Day, and his it doesn't even know what love actually is. So oh, okay. But that doesn't necessarily make it it worse. It will be as bad, I would venture to say. Um, okay, so I wanted to come up with because I don't know. I was very excited about the, this idea. Um, I have sort of within the world of the supporting character, I've sort of categorized what they are or what they can be. Go on. The different categories of supporting characters. So, like, I've got somewhere, and this kind of goes back to what you're talking about. What does it even mean to support? Why is it? Why is that the word that's used? And what is it supporting? Right. Yeah, not minor character. Uh-huh. It's supporting character. And so, what is it supporting? And so, that is sort of uh, how well, I. Do, do you think maybe the term originally came from the academy just being tactful? Po- uh, possibly, <laughs> but for but they still arrived at that word as it's right. not a nonsense word. <laughs> they didn't just say like uh, biggest. That would have made that wouldn't have made any sense at all. Okay, awesomest. Uh huh. He's the lead, but you're still the awesomest one. <laughs> all right, take that, Claude Rains. So, um, so one is that. Uh, so I've got one category, and these aren't in any particular order. Is uh, I wrote down scenery, and it's characters that don't they interact with the lead character, but more than anything, they really are there to sort of. Define what the the world, like the um, maybe the the people that Casey Affleck interviews in Gone Baby Gone. Absolutely, their scenery. They yes, and they're still you know the the actors still play them as characters, and that's fine. But they are there, sort of to add to add stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have. Because in that in in that world of of Boston, yes, it's about the it's about the buildings to a certain extent. It's about the attitude, and this is how. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, the guy is running up against this to investigate things, and he's asking no. He's asking perfectly nice questions, and these right. guys want to kill him. 
Sounds like I came up with a good example. That's a great example. Was it on your list? Um, no, it wasn't. Yes. Um, I came up with because that's I, I came up that's with like, one point for not making a list beforehand. <laughs> do I have any points in my column? Nope. All right. Damn. <laughs> All right. Um, but like for example, uh, like Joel, the character of Joel Cairo in the Maltese Falcon. Joel Cairo is not threatening. All right, like right. He smells like gardenias. Exactly, and we all know what that means. <laughs> we can't say it, but we all know what that means. Come on, but now. Dashiell Hammett could say it. He sure did. Like, did you ever read it? I never did. I I read. Wait, no. Did I read the Maltese Falcon? Yeah, I read the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Yeah, he's he's gay in the book. Queer, please. <laughs> he's queer. Yeah. In the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, Effie just comes in and just gives and rather than give him this card and and Sam Spade smells it and it's like hmm gardenia rather than that she gives him the card and says this guy's queer <laughs> <laughs> which by the way if that movie were made now say the Coen brothers made it that would be like the biggest laugh line oh in the no movie. question about it you imagine Jennifer Jason Lee coming in and <laughs> this guy's queer <laughs> so um she probably said maybe even a bit deeper than I just did see that's something that I'm talking like that's a homophobic thing to say, but because it's funny, I don't care. Oh, good. Does that make me a bad person? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. I, I think, don't know. No, I think that's a testament to the art of comedy. <laughs> I like anybody who says, "Does that make me a bad person?" No, it doesn't. <laughs> I don't care really about your answer because, as I've, as I will not acknowledge, I am a bad person. So, uh, no, I'm just saying that doesn't make me a bad person. Right, right. I, You're a bad person for any number of reasons. I believe this is the one thing that. Me, personally, and then your chosen belief system, mm-hmm. uh, a religious system, have in common, mm-hmm. that I believe that man is wicked. I believe we're all bad people. Here's here's what's interesting. My chosen belief system, I believe that you, David Bax, are wicked. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that much about your particular denomination. I, I yeah. was painting with a broad brush. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, don't, we try not to do that anymore. We try to get very specific. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, uh, but Joel Cairo, so, like, okay. Uh, Casper Gutman is threatening. Everything is led up to his Mm -hmm. entrance into the film, and by the time he gets there, even though he's very jovial, we all know what he can do. Joel Cairo is not scary. He's not intimidating. But what he he is, for uh, homosexual reasons or not, or just because it's Peter Lorre, he's exotic and mysterious. And you don't always know where his loyalties lie. Mm -hmm. That is the world that Sam Spade operates in it's there way more there are way more joel kairos than there are casper gutman's there are way more fake threats than there are actual threats and while i love farnham from eb farnham is, is another great yeah. example and then we don't have to get homophobic about it because he wasn't gay right uh, or maybe he was he didn't seem to be very uh, sexually he, interested in he did get a he was i do remember a scene where he's in the background the, the film doesn't i don't think the film the the camera even bothered to linger on him where he's getting like a hand job in the background by one of oh, the uh i forgot about that uh women at the gym so uh so someone like i don't know someone like joel Kyra or in uh the movie bugsy yes i did come up with this list while looking at my shelves um <laughs> in the movie bugsy uh harvey Keitel plays a character named mickey cohen who he certainly is not a lead and he's really not as far as the the things that he does and the role that he plays, he's not that dynamic. He has a couple of really amazing scenes early on where you see that he's this hood, but he's more just there to sort of set the tone that even in the midst of kind of this show business world that Bugsy Siegel has surrounded himself with, it is built up on 
thugs and murderers. Mm -hmm. And even though Mickey Cohen's on his side, he could just as easily not be. And so little, little things like that. And that you see that, that while he may be on board with Bugsy, it's be, it mostly is because Bugsy is paying him. He has no real vision for, Mm -hmm. uh, for Las Vegas. He's there because he's being paid because it's all about money as it is with most mobsters and that therein laid the frustration of Bugsy Siegel. And so a character like that and of course and you know he was nominated as well. In roles like this you can still do amazing things. I think Peter Lorre does an amazing job with Joel Cairo. Um, it's weird when people who like looking back at people who were nominated before when like when I was too young to be watching the Oscars because mm-hmm. it's like movies that people don't talk about. Yeah, like um, Michael Lerner being nominated for Barton Fink. Yeah, like it's so weird because no one ever talks about Barton Fink, and no one ever talks like, about I mean, Michael Lerner. I mean, in the mainstream, right? Obviously, people like us yeah. can't stop talking about Barton Fink. Exactly, a couple of blowhards. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going. Well, and like uh, a good example of that is to me is always uh, a film that I haven't seen and you have and you really like um, Bruce Davison and Longtime Companion. Yeah, most people in the mainstream don't talk about Longtime Companion, and very few people talk about Bruce Davison, which is too bad. Which is too bad because he's he was a re- yeah. very funny on a recent episode of Children's Hospital. Really? Oh, good for him. They did um, an an episode. The there's it was a conceptual episode where it was an episode of Children's Hospital done as if it were a community theater production, mm-hmm. like Our Town. And Bruce Davison played the like stage manager, oh, nice. stage manager character from Our Town. <laughs> that's right. That works. That's that's good casting. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, um, he does sort of have a Spalding Gray type uh, uh-huh. quality. Yeah. Um, so okay, I wrote this down, and this might actually go into uh, another category. And I should have maybe should have brought it up earlier. In the film Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow is not the lead. Jack Sparrow is is there to show us the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if he wasn't there, certainly Johnny Depp's performance really added to what we think of the character. But if he wasn't there at all, and he really didn't have to be as far as, as, far the, as the pure plot. plot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if he wasn't there, then the film would not have been nearly as fun. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have, the film would not, wouldn't have declared itself as willing be silly right and so uh but he certainly doesn't change over the course of the film he is not a lead he is definitely supporting um if there is a lead i guess it's probably kira knightley and yeah, maybe orlando true. bloom yeah, but uh knightley, but yeah jack sparrow is somebody who he is there to sort of set the set the scene and he you know he's he's a character that other characters work against he's not a villain mm-hmm. but they often have to sort of he complicates things uh, with his uh, sh- his hijinks and shenanigans one and more, carryings on. One more tangent here. Okay. And then I'll let you finish up. Thank I you. I think we're about done. Um, <laughs> it's my job to keep the show on track. Is that is that how you keep it on track? We're done. Why don't well, you shut I'm up? we're about done. All right. Pirates of the Caribbean. Loved that movie. Saw it twice in the theater. I didn't know you loved it that much. That's exciting. The main thing I think about it when I think about it now is the part toward the beginning. He's like up on a ship. He's got handcuffs on mm-hmm. and he escapes by using the handcuffs to slide down the rope do you remember that yes physically the thing that he does is not possible i've watched it more times since then i had the th- same thoughts like that's what are you 
Are you, kid, are you Kitty Pride? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, <laughs> that's, that's such a nerdy joke. I know. <laughs> Did you get it? Yeah. All right then. I guess we all we all win and lose. Okay. Mostly lose. Okay. So what are you saying? You've seen it since you've studied seen, this. Scene. And what he does is he like puts his hand. To, he uses the uh, the slack in the chain because there's throws a good, it over. Yeah. And then grabs and the grabs other. the other side. Yes. Okay. That but makes it happens sense. very fast, and it is understandable why someone would jump to oh he's just using the handcuff that's ridiculous yeah so so anyway that's that's how that goes all right but um all right so i will continue uh because i guess i'm just a jerk no i'm just saying wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) i'm the jerk oh this is really uh you know the listeners take their cues from you they'd be content to listen to us for hours me they take their cues from me i think so they probably shouldn't i know they shouldn't but they do i'm no life coach I know. Believe I. I remember that one very unfortunate year where I turned to you for all my choices. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So they're like they could be like, oh, this is a fun. Ex- this is a fun uh, episode. I'm I'm excited to hear what's what's next on Tyler's list. David then says, uh, we we should wrap it up. And they're like, maybe they should wrap it up. <laughs> Tyler's uh, Tyler just won't stop talking. This isn't more than one lesson. So okay, let me tell you about all the other great podcasts you could be listening to right now. <laughs> There is a new episode of More Than One Lesson in which uh, uh, I talk about the film Black Swan, and I compare it thematically to Woody Allen's Sweet and Low Down. The films are very different, but thematically similar. Anyway, so... I've only seen one of them. Which one is that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, our banter has turns a little bit surreal sometimes. You ever notice that? Yeah, when when I'm ready to go. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and you got a couple beers in you. You know, that's really I the can, only way I you can, can get I through can this anymore. A couple beers. Okay. Um, well, I can't handle you handling a couple <laughs> beers. So, okay. Uh, another category is um, supporting characters that are there. You know, for definition of the lead, they help. Whether it be speaking very directly about him, okay. or we just see how they react to him. This isn't; these are not antagonists. These are people who they may say good things, they may say bad things, but they're there to kind of throw the the lead character into sharp relief. Um, an, uh, one, maybe the best example of this is uh, Jedediah Leland from Citizen Kane. Uh, Leland doesn't change. He's cynical at the beginning and he's cynical at the end. Um, and he hides it a little bit with humor. And even though he's friends with Charles Foster Kane and is willing to go along with him, at no point does he buy into Charles Foster Kane. Certainly not as much as Kane does. And so he's always the one there to, to say, like, maybe this isn't the best idea. Or mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the big... Uh, well, there's a couple climactic confrontation scenes, and it's and if if Leland wasn't there, if it was only Bernstein, who's a bit sycophantic and totally buys into the Kane idea, um, then we would only have one I, one concept of of Kane and how he takes criticism and how much he has changed. It is only when Leland is there to mirror him and that he understand he might have an idea of who he is. And how he reacts to it. He might ignore it, or he might actually act on it. He usually ignores it. Would you put in the same category, say, like, the ant character from Harvey? As someone who is... Maybe it helps us understand how... Um, what is his name? Elwood. Elwood P. Dowd. Elwood P. Dowd. 
has gotten as far in life as he has just age wise mm-hmm. being the person he has because this aunt is something of an enabler maybe or at least allows him to I think so I think and also like well yeah you know what and for any number of reasons I think she fits this uh, this definition of definition of the lead right. um, there's that yes in which we see like okay I can kind of see how he would how this would work out because she sort of raises him and takes mm-hmm. care of him but then also we don't see anything aside from the fact that he does see an invisible bunny we don't see anything unusual about his behavior and so she is there to constantly say this is weird <laughs> the bunny thing and also your general attitude is weird and so she's there to to sort of define him but of course we don't see him as weird we see her as weird so in defining she defines what her and the rest of the world's attitude is going to be towards him and mm-hmm. so that's something that he's going to be fighting against not literally of course because he's the most laid back character possibly in the history of art um, but uh, but it, it also serves this is just me talking about how much I love Harvey real quick but it also makes the the introduction of the fact that Elwood is probably an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, maybe more. It's more sly and also maybe more impactful because we're seeing it in this like he's har- generally harmless. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So and it's never stated. He's never he's never Ray Milland in the Lost Weekend. Like <laughs> right. it's never harrowing. Right. It's just like you sort of it sort of he's dawns Nick, on he's you. He's Nick Charles. If if yeah yeah he's closer to that. But it sort of dawns on you that like oh this guy's drinking is a problem. Yeah, and that's probably why he's seeing a bunny. Yeah, in many ways he's exactly Ray Milland <laughs> in right. the Lost Weekend, except uh, the bunny isn't uh, rabid and coming out of the wall. But uh, it's a benign force Mm -hmm. and so yeah i think she's i think she's very much a good example of defining any number of things but certainly defining how the world sees him uh another example is you've seen primary colors right of course um i think yeah you and i i think watched it together once or twice when we lived together um kathy bates character named libby holden in that Mm -hmm. film and she has a bit of an arc herself one could say one could say that she's something of a lead, but I, I think she, I think she's more supporting than she is a lead because she doesn't necessarily change so much as she comes to a realization. She realizes that she's put her stock in the the, the Stantons, you know, uh, yeah. John Travolta and Emma Thompson's but characters. She's only, I think this idea that she's a lead is only true if you were to think of it as if it had happened in the real world. But in the movie, right. the thing... I feel like we're trying to spoil Primary Colors, and that's fine. Sorry. But, like, in the movie, the thing that happens, we're meant to understand it from the lead's point of view. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, the character's name. Henry. Henry. The lead. Um, I mean, I think that's a choice on the film part of the filmmaker and the screenwriter to uh, interpret her death. I'm sorry. Right. If you haven't seen Primary Colors. Well, her suicide. Uh, yeah, her, her interpret her suicide as the way that Henry is affected by it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and that's you know, and the Stansons themselves are not 
lead characters. You know, they are always going to do what yeah. they're going to John do. John Travolta and Emma Thompson might be on the cover of the DVD, but right, they're not the not the leads. Yeah, but Kathy Bates is the one that she defines Henry because she's very much she's an idealist, very much so, and she sort of informs his idealism. But then when it all comes crashing down for her, that's when we see. She is, of course, she supports the overall theme of like the a certain death of idealism. The further you get involved in in politics or whatever yeah. it may be, um, or subscribing too much to any one person, yeah, not realizing that person is going to let you down. And so she's an example. And then another I've, quick, okay, quick tangent about primary colors to bring it back to comedy, a thing we often talk about. Mm-hmm. Primary colors, in a weird way, contains a moment in it that is integral to my growth as a comedy fan. Okay. Because I think I saw it at a time when I thought I was a smart comedy fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I was maybe like watching Mr. Show at that point, right. or something. Um, and I, although Mr. Show is not a good example from what to say, but I thought I like comedy that's wordy and and witty and clever. Yeah. I don't I don't laugh at people falling down. There's a part in Primary Colors where Alice and Janie slips and falls while walking up the stairs. Yeah. That is like the funniest moment in the movie. <laughs> and it like broke me up and I was like, Yeah, oh, yeah, I guess people falling can be pretty funny when it's done right. And it's like and it's it's actually a real fall. Like she falls on like concrete steps. Yeah, Alice and Janie is a she's game as an actress. Oh, yeah. She's uh, I love her. She's very gifted. Yeah. Um so uh real quick, uh, much in the sort of in the same way as uh as a Jed Leland, but also he sort of defines the the scenery as well as uh, Captain Renault or Renault, depending on how people want to say it, mm-hmm. in uh, Casablanca, played by Claude Rains, who I mentioned a moment ago, um, because he's not only constantly talking about Rick, but everything about him, the gleeful corruption that he <laughs> takes part in, is also, I mean, he is Casablanca in microcosm, just... We all we all act as though everything's fine and that our authority figures are going to take care of us, but ultimately, they're about as corrupt as can be, and they actually take a certain degree of pride in that. And so, I feel like he's a, a good example. And then, uh, the, both characters, Quint and Hooper, help to define Brody because yeah, in more s- subtle ways, yeah, yeah. You see how certainly in in. Uh, the way they approach sharks in general, but just the ocean and how they're all, they're both very gung ho in some way, shape or form. Like Hooper does not shy away from the idea of I'm going to go in a cage with this giant, not the shark's not in the cage at first, but, uh, he doesn't shy away. The man goes into the cage. The cage Cage goes goes in the water. water. Sharks in the water. water. Our shark. (laughs) Farewell and adieu. (laughs) Anyway, so, Thank you for starting that. That was very exciting. So, um, so yeah. So, like, Hooper doesn't question what he is supposed to do. And Quint certainly doesn't either. Brody's the only one who's ever reluctant. And only when both of those characters are dispatched, either through death or just through, like, well, okay, now I'm in the open water with this giant shark. I'm going to go hide in these rocks because <laughs> I don't want to – I'll be a hero – up until the point where it's totally impractical. And so, um, and so only when people that are much more willing and much more able to destroy the shark, only when they are gone is Brody forced 
to step up and do what he needs to do. And he uses certain things that he's learned throughout the film, you know, like about the, the air tank and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, that, that sort of thing is... And, he, and he's using, I believe, Quint's rifle. And so, they are there... Of course, I mean, they're both, I would venture to say, more entertaining than Brody is as a character. Mm-hmm. But... And I think Roy Scheider does a great job, and I think that Brody is written well as a character, but it's worth noting that once they are gone, we do miss them, but we're still so much more invested with Brody right. because there were three guys, now there's one, and he, and if it's not him, it's nobody. The shark will continue to terrorize the town if he doesn't do what he needs to do. And if they weren't as colorful, and if they weren't as sketched out as they are, because you could say that that it's like a three lead film. It's not. It's one lead, and and everyone else is supporting. And if they weren't sketched out the way they were, I don't think we would be nearly as much on Brody's side as we are, and be as so in, as invested in him as we are. And so that's. And then last, I guess, just uh, antagonists. Um, right. You could say villains, but even then, not all not all antagonists are straight up villains. Um, there are people who, of course, from a plot standpoint, they provide the conflict, but also they are informed by the lead, but they also inform the lead. Again, Alonzo from Training Day. Yeah. Would be a great... And another... And I actually... Because a lot of these overlap with each other, so the idea of definition of the lead, I, I combine that with antagonist to come up with, like, the Joker and the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. You know, because philosophically, he challenges batman and they're sort of the yin and yang uh a film that i know you hate with unbridled passion a civil action um <laughs> no, i don't but uh robert duvall's character i just in, don't care about it okay robert duvall's character in that film who is not a villain but he's definitely the antagonist and of course he's he's not even necessarily cynical he just knows how it works he's a realist and mm-hmm. he you know he has a job to do and he does it but his job is to protect and and distance this, you know, faceless corporation from any sort of co- negative consequences uh, for their actions. And the better he is at that, the more we're invested in John Travolta, who kind of used to think of the same, th- think in the same way, which is the law is there for me to profit in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've got. Uh, William Hurt's character in A History of Violence, but I'll, I won't talk about him. But I will talk about Bill from Kill Bill. Okay. Because it's not merely that he has trained our our heroine, but also his sensibility. Because he's not a... As we, and, of course, both characters are very much informed by Quentin Tarantino. But <laughs> the way he talks about pop culture... Uh, Bill talked away pop uh, talks about pop culture definitely informs the way the bride talks about pop culture and you see the two of them they really go well together to the point where you almost feel like oh it doesn't seem like Bill's the antagonist even mm-hmm. though we know he is it's a shame these two kids can't work it out <laughs> <laughs> um and then so and then very briefly of course then there's the character of like the mentor and the teacher and, of course, I wrote down Morpheus, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Gandalf, and uh, decided to throw in the character of the grandpa from Little Miss Sunshine. So, uh, yeah. even though I don't care for that character and I don't care for the film. Which movie's worse, Little Miss Sunshine or Juno? I knew you were going to ask that. 
I'm just saying, with the, with the distance of uh, about five years, which one's worse? Which one is worse? That is a good question. I, I think, think I'm going to go with Little Miss Sunshine. I, my instinct was to say Juno, but then I realized that I was engaged with the character of Juno. Little Miss Sunshine, like there's some real Here's, humanity in Juno. Yeah. Everyone's a cartoon yeah. in Little Miss thing. Sunshine. There, there are parts of Juno that are worse, way, way worse than Little Miss Sunshine. Right. But Little Miss Sunshine is more consistently terrible. And it's not for... And and made all the worse by the fact that, like, all those actors are doing... Turning in really good work. Like, I really like what pretty much every actor in Little Miss Sunshine is doing. Oh, Little Miss Sunshine? But in service of what? Well, there you go. Yeah. But, you know... Whereas, like, I think... Removed from all my hatred of it, I think Jason Bateman actually is really good in Juno. And that's just one example, I think. Yeah. He's I, good. J.K. I, Simmons is good. I think yeah. Ellen Page is good. Um, Allison Janney is good. Yeah. the um, Jennifer Garner. Mm-hmm. I, I think everyone's actually good in it. Yeah. Uh, it's just sometimes Diablo Cody couldn't... Way too much of the time Diablo Cody can't help but poke her head through the screenplay and yeah. just make a fool of herself. A fool of all of us. <laughs> But uh, well, okay. I, I don't like that we went out on that on that note. Why but, not? Uh, That's a perfect note to go out on. <laughs> I guess it doesn't. I guess it's not going out with a whimper when you wind up bashing two films that everybody loves. I don't think our listenership likes those movies, do they? I don't think so. But uh, Here's, we're going to get a bunch of emails about how, why those movies are good. Just like this week, we got eight million emails about who Olivia Wilde is. Yeah. Okay, so she was in Tron Legacy. Now that you say that, I remember it. I still don't give a fuck. Oh. <laughs> I don't care who she is. I know you don't care. And I don't dislike her. That's the right. thing. Exactly. I, make I, want, I want you to make this that distinction. This is not being like me being like mean about Olivia Wilde. Right. I just don't care. Yeah. When she's in something I care about, then I'll, I'll have an opinion on her. All right. So the onus is really on you, Olivia Wilde. I know you listen. Maybe she's the one who sent you. Here's my Wikipedia entry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Well, let's let's end on that then. Fair enough. All right. So uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. Tyler's on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson. Which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. New and episode. My, new episode. Black Swan, Sweet and Lowdown. And my other podcast is the weekly television review pod, podcast, Previously On. That's at previouslyonshow.com. So thank you very much for listening, and... I oh, will get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.